scripture today comes from Luke 24, 13 through 27. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since he was seen in this form. Moreover, some women who had sit with him at the tomb, they were in the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, came back and told us that they had seen a vision and seen a lady with Jesus that had been crucified. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. I was still in grade school when I had my first experience face-to-face with a dead human body. I was home for lunch from school, and uh, my dad was preparing for a funeral next door at the church, funeral for a pillar of our congregation in Lorain, Ohio, Trinity Baptist Church, uh, a man I respected and the whole church really loved. And while we were eating lunch, my dad just said, Paul, why don't you go over and pay your last respects to Mr. Greenwood and You can view his body there, and I thought to myself, he seems to be asking me as as comfortably as, why don't you go next door and see the new piano? But I walked into that sanctuary, and there was nobody else there, just the two of us, walked down the aisle, thinking this is a little uncomfortable, but looked into that casket and saw Mr. Greenwood's body. And then I saw it move, or I thought I did. (laughs) And I stood there a while, staring at it. Some of you have had this experience. And I just stared at it to be sure. And he didn't move again. So I left that place convinced that Mr. Greenwood really was dead. And having a, a greater sense of the mystery of death itself. You see, ordinarily, normally, Dead people don't move. And that's what even the early disciples believed, that that's normal, that's ordinary. It seems when reading the accounts of the first Easter, we expect them to be jumping for joy. We don't find the disciples jumping for joy. They didn't expect this to happen. The resurrection 
seemed to be the last thing on their minds, at least the way it happened. And so these two, two of the followers of Jesus, not part of the 12, but part of the larger band of believers following him around, these two were going back to life as normal in Emmaus. And we're pretty sad, the text tells us. They were talking while they were walking. They were discussing. Literally, it speaks of they were tossing back and forth all these things that had happened, trying to figure it all out. And then a seemingly ignorant stranger comes to walk along beside them, and they start to fill him in with what had happened. This Jesus of Nazareth was really a prophet. He performed miracles. He told wonderful parables, great teachings. But then our religious leaders handed him over to the Roman political leaders. They put him on a cross and he's dead. We had hoped that he was the Messiah, the one who would come and deliver us from Rome. And then to make it worse, some women from our band went and saw the tomb this morning and there was no body in it. There were angels saying that he was risen, but there was no body. And then some men from our group went to check things out. It was just as the women had said. So they seemed so discouraged as they told the stranger the story, filling him in with all the details. I want us to pause there in a story because I think some of us may be coming at this story right where they are. And most of us have been there, if we're not there this morning, where we, we kind of know the facts about Jesus. We can be really close to him, but not see him. Because we, we know about his, his life, we know where he grew up, we know the kind of ministry he had. We know how he died. We even know that there was this story of an empty tomb. But we don't really know Jesus. And he's standing right there, but we don't really know him. We just know facts about him. In that condition, where did that come from? It's like, was it? Our disappointment, just as they were disappointed, is that, that life is so hard and hurtful and painful that all we can think about is these things that have happened to us that have just been strange and mystical and unexplainable and so downright terrible that we're just overwhelmed and we don't really put the whole story together. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's our own brokenness, our inability to really see God's hand at work, that could be it too. I fear that for some of us it might be we've just gotten old or the story's gotten old. We've, we've turned it over and over again. The facts are just the same old, same old story. Uh, let's go to Easter. We'll hear, we'll hear about the empty tomb and Christ is risen, blah, blah, blah. It's just gotten too familiar, and Jesus is right there, but we just don't get it. We just don't see him. I don't know where it 
comes from for you, but that's the reality of the story. I mean, these were people who followed Jesus around for quite a while. They weren't seeing him clearly. This is reality for a lot of us. And I want you to hear Jesus' diagnosis. It says in verse 25, lovingly but firmly, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart you are. You know, I think he's put the finger on the problem. The problem is, is us. It's you and me. It's, it's no one else we can blame for this inability to see. And he's right there. The problem is us. The, the treatment for this problem is not us. The treatment is something only God can do. Only God can help those who are foolish become wise. Only God can help those who are slow of heart to get a little more of a quicker beat going. God's work is pretty evident in this text. The first treatment that Jesus recommends in this first section we've read is to believe in all that the prophets have said about the Messiah, about his suffering, about his glory, to look at it in all the scriptures, which at this time was what we call the Old Testament, to get acquainted with the whole of the story, not just bits and pieces, but the whole thing from Genesis to Malachi and then add to it for sure, now Matthew to Revelation. Get the whole sweep of the story and maybe we'll see Jesus a little more clearly. Jesus takes them on a Bible survey I wish I had been a part of because he wants he wants his disciples to see that he's the theme. He's the woven theme through the whole book. Don't get distracted and settle into certain details. Keep looking for Jesus. That's how he approaches this book. Look for him there. See if that doesn't help to open your eyes and help you to see him a little more clearly. I recommend that you read the whole thing. It's, it's not that difficult. We read tougher things in our workplaces. Just read the whole story. See if it doesn't start to make some sense as you tie some things together. But I also recommend that you stay under some good Bible teaching and preaching. Be with other believers where you can talk about it. That was part of the dynamic on the road to Emmaus is let's, let's discuss it. Let's talk about it. But in all these things, it's not just about you doing activities, it's about Jesus interpreting and making it clear as you spend time in the book, in all the scriptures. Spend time there and Jesus will start to reveal himself and interpret himself to you. That's the treatment, that's the first step of the treatment. And I recommend that we pray rather than just diving into the Bible thinking it's all about us trying to figure it out. Let's pray that Jesus would, would open our eyes to see him. Back in the 70s, I learned a simple chorus. It's simple to sing. Even if you've never heard it, you'll probably know it by the end of my chat with you this morning. It's open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him and say that we love him. Sing it with me. I think you'll pick it up. Open our eyes, Lord. We want 
want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him, and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. Again in Luke 24, 28 through 35. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of the Lord. So if our eyes are going to be open and we see Jesus, we're going to need to be in all the scriptures, but I believe we're also going to need to see him in the breaking of the bread. In this part of the story, I think it's quite curious and fascinating that Jesus seems to be just ready to move on until they, they invite him and urge him to stay. And I'm reminded that that's really the way I think many of us experience Jesus Christ is he's, he's quite a gentleman and at times he might be a little pushy, but most of the time he's so gentlemanly he's going to walk right on by unless we invite him to stay with us. Something's going on. Would you, would you come and show yourself to us a little more clearly? And it's in that urging that I think many of us find our, our relationship with Christ growing, not just in the scriptures, but getting him to stay with us more personally. But I have a little warning, a little caution comes from this story for any of you who are thinking about inviting him in. Don't be surprised when he makes himself right at home and he takes over. He starts to act as if it's, it's his home. It's his life because guess what? It is. He's, he's bought us. He's made us. He loves us. And when he moves in, he starts doing things like, I'll be the host. He takes the bread. He gives thanks for it. Wait a minute. That's my job. Now, when Jesus moves in, he takes over. And he breaks the bread and gives it to us. Do you... Recall that pattern, Jesus taking bread 
giving thanks, breaking it, and then giving it to his disciples. Again, if you stay with one story, even one book at a time, read the whole book of Luke as quickly as possible, this at the last chapter won't be a surprise to you. You've seen Jesus do it twice before in Luke. Once when he fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. That's a miracle. But he did that, but before he did it, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples. Then at the Last Supper, what we call Last Supper, a Passover meal with his disciples, guess what he did? He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples. Is this the pattern that woke these two disciples in Emmaus up? Possibly. Or maybe they saw the scars in the hands that were doing that, in the wrist, noticing what Christ had done for them. Maybe that was it. Whatever happened, we're not sure in the writing of Luke's story, but their eyes were open and they recognized him, finally, in the breaking of the bread. And as a pastor, I've seen this another pattern. It's not just in the teaching and preaching and looking at scriptures that people get to see Jesus. He's certainly there. But it's also in coming to this meal, the bread and, and the cup. And I've even watched children figure things out at the table here because although it's more than an object lesson, it is an object lesson of Christ's shed blood, his broken body for us. And here's Christ's people gathering and remembering what he's done for us and doing it with thanks. And things come together for us of all ages when we come and we actually get to taste and see that the Lord is good. We get to touch him and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. So let's not discount what we're going to do in just a few minutes. This may be your opportunity to really see Jesus, to recognize him, and to get to know him all the better. Friends, I don't want you to miss one other treatment. There's the treatment of scripture. There's also the treatment of the sacraments. But there's a final treatment of God's spirit at large in his people. Did you notice what happened when they recognized him? Just like that, Jesus vanished. And for us, too, he's gone. He's not here physically. He's gone to be at the right hand of the Father Almighty. But he's interested in us coming to know him, and we do it in the same way these two disciples did. And they went beyond the sacrament. What did they do next? After this long day of discouragement and travel and dust, and discussions, they jumped on their high horses and ran back to Jerusalem to be with believers and celebrate the risen Lord. They found the others, and sure enough, he's risen indeed. And that celebration is what marks the Christian church on the first day of the week, all these centuries later, gathering around the word, around the bread and cup. And by being together, we're encouraging one another in the faith. That's part of Christ's prescription. Are you, are you here having trouble with maybe 
seeing Christ in his fullness, a little foolishness in your life, you can see it, maybe a little bit of that slow heart to believe, then, then this is the route he recommends. It's not going to happen just like that. But as you stay in the word, around the sacrament, with God's people filled with the spirit, my guess is someday it's going to come together for you. That's something out of my control, but it's something we can either reject or invite. I would encourage you to not leave today as if you're on some road to Emmaus, leaving all these facts ho-hum behind. My encouragement is that you make a new commitment to keep gathering with God's people around these things that God has provided for us to grow our faith. We're all in a pilgrimage here. We invite you into the fullness of that in Christ. Because I believe that there is a man who lived here on earth, died, and he really moved. He moved again and again and again and went to heaven. And someday he's going to do the same for all those whose faith is in him. Bring them back to life, to eternal life with God the Father. That is our hope. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. As part of our service, we're going to take an offering. If you're visiting with us, you're our guest. No obligation. We do it not to make God love us, but we do it because God does love us and has given so much to us. We want to share it with his world, with his work in this world. So let's give as we celebrate the risen Christ.